0: Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdrafts up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify.
0: welcome to financials podcast future rich my name is barbara Ginty, and i'm your host and also a cfp which you all know by now is a certified financial planner and we have been talking a lot about home buying and we still have so many questions on it so i thought i would bring on another expert for you all and so i'd like to welcome darren Edmonds. did i say your last name right yes Okay. I'm always nervous about pronunciation. It's not my strong suit. Um, And you are the owner and founder of High Road Properties in Salt Lake City, more specifically Cottonwood Heights here in Utah, um, which is a pretty hot real estate market right now.
2: Yeah. Salt Lake's been a busy market for the last several years. And uh, during the COVID crisis here, uh, home buying has gone to another even higher level of competition here in the Salt Lake City area.
0: Yeah, it was pretty pretty incredible. I mean, I feel like some people are really hurting during COVID depending on, you know, the area that you work in and then other people are really doing really well like technology and it seems like real estate.
2: Yeah, it seems to be the case. We've been really fortunate I think here in Utah overall. Unemployment hasn't taken the kind of hit uh, that it has in a lot of other parts of the country. And so folks are still working and they want to have a great home to live in. So that tends to <laughs> push the demand up and, and our supply here is a little low. We, I guess we can go into that a little more later.
0: Yeah. So I was kind of thinking this would be like a twofold podcast here for our listeners. So first off, you own your own brokerage, which maybe you could break down the difference between being a real estate agent and, and owning a brokerage. Um, all of my information really comes from Bravo or HGTV on that <laughs> front. Um, because a lot of our listeners either have side hustles or, Um, you know, or maybe in the process of starting their own business. So that's what you did, which I think is really interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's, I guess, start there. Um, So yeah, there is a difference between being a real estate agent and being a broker here in Utah. Each state is different. The way each state runs their licensing is different. So um, if you're listening to this somewhere else, it it may not be the case exactly where you live, but I'll tell you how it is here in Utah. Uh, To become a real estate agent, you need to take Uh, 120 hours of class, pass a state and federal test, and pass a background check and all that type of stuff to make sure you're uh, not some kind of criminal type. Uh, And then you can get your real estate license and begin to sell real estate. Um, You do need to work for a broker. Your agent's license needs to be hung underneath a broker's license. So you'll go work for A company like my company or you can go work for one of the big nationwide companies Uh, it's really up to you and that I could do a whole podcast on that but uh, then the difference when you want to become a broker it does have an experience requirement you have to sell in Utah it's somewhere around 30 or 40 homes it depends on how you, you tally everything up but you have to sell about 30 or 40 homes and then you have to take an additional 120 hours of class and a couple additional tests pay a bunch of additional fees, and then you have a broker's license, which means you are uh, allowed to go out and open your own company if you'd like to. So uh, I did do that. Um, So I was an agent for four years. You do have to be an agent for a minimum of three years uh, as well. So there's a time requirement. You didn't
0: wait that long. You were like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have my own company.
2: Yeah, I went, well, you know, it's funny you look at it that way. I look at it as like, what a slacker. I, I didn't do it on the third year. I waited like a <laughs> year. So yeah, I did. I, 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 at first I worked for, for Keller Williams, one of the big companies uh, that's nationwide. Everybody's probably heard of them and they had great training programs. So I, I ate all that up, but they also do take a pretty big piece of your paycheck at each time you do get paid. So I decided to switch to a, a lower uh, fee brokerage here in Utah. So I worked at that lower fee brokerage for about three years. Then I was looking at it and I was like, well, I, why am I paying fees to anybody? Like I'm doing all these deals myself. I'm mostly working from home. I don't really use the office much. I'm a pretty independent person. So um, I decided I would open my own just for the cost savings of not having to pay my broker a piece of each one of my commissions. So opened my own firm in 2013 and kind of was a lone ranger for about three or so years, three to three to four years. And just had a few friends start asking about, oh, would you, would you show me how to sell real estate? Would you consider hiring someone? So um, had hired one friend, hired another, hired two more, hired two more, hired two more. And, you know, and not, not everybody's still here, but so far, I, I think uh, we've trained up about 10 folks as agents here. Um, wow. we had, we had a great assistant, um, and, uh, and, and we're training up our second great assistant right now. Our, our first one, uh, she moved with her family to Colorado. So we went, from, I went from just kind of a yeah, lone wolf working out of my home and, uh, selling about 20 homes a year, uh, to building up a team with right now, I believe we have eight agents and plus myself, plus the assistant. And last year we sold 71 homes the year before that we sold 101 homes, Wow. Um, so we're we're trying to get back up there this year. You know we're tracking to probably sell about like last year, probably seventy ish. Um, but we have some new folks on board, and again, the new assistant. So that's really going to help us fly. When when our assistant left, that certainly hurt. So starting a yeah. business has was almost kind of happened by accident. And I do listen to a lot of podcasts, and I guess I hear that story kind of a lot. People don't always. Uh, have a big plan uh, but you just keep saying yes when things present themselves and the next thing you know um, you kind (laughs) of you have a business in front of you
0: yeah I mean the time goes by quickly I've been I've owned my business for seven years so I feel like for me it's gone by quickly it sounds like it's kind of moved and ebbed and flowed pretty naturally for you to go from a lone ranger to having that amount of people underneath you
2: yeah I mean definitely there's uncomfortable times and um, I have used some, uh, there's some coaching available in real estate um, where you can pay some people to help you with planning and things like that. Uh, I certainly utilized that a bit. I probably could have utilized it more, again, being an independent person. I'm always trying to think that I can do it myself. The coaching certainly helped a lot. They pointed me in the right direction. Um, I did have a coach for about six months a couple of years ago, and she was like, you have to get an assistant. And it wasn't an option. She forced me to do it. I was really <laughs> uncomfortable with that. I didn't know what am I going to have them do? How much am I going to have to pay them? You know, all these type of things. Then I realized that it was like the greatest thing ever to have someone watching your back in this business anyway, to have an assistant is really great. And the fact that we can share her across the whole team is really, really helpful as well. So I guess one piece of advice for anybody kind of getting more serious about turning any side hustle into a more serious business would be, you know, maybe having a little more of a plan maybe than I had could certainly be helpful. And uh, don't be shy. Uh, Look for mentors, look for coaches, look for people that did it before, even in different industries and just ask a lot of questions and then, you know, to, to grow and to expand, you're going to be uncomfortable. I certainly was and I still am sometimes. So, you know, uh, if you're a good salesperson, you know, being a salesperson is your main thing. And I think for me, being a salesperson was what I was good at. Now building a team and being a leader, that's a whole different thing. So I'm still trying to learn that all the time.
0: I would always say that's the hardest part because I would say I'm a natural, I'm used to being in sales and then having to have people underneath you who are reporting to you or where you're responsible for helping them has been for me, at least the hardest mm-hmm. part. Cause I think owning a small business and, and tell me how it's been for you, but you're wearing multiple, multiple hats. On a regular- all,
2: all the hats really all you hats. got all the hats. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're running your, your marketing, you're running your social media, generate, trying to generate leads for your team. I mean, I've, that's been, uh, that was a main goal of mine in 2017, 2018 was generating leads for my team and it, and it worked, you know, um, and then I shift my focus to something else. And then all of a sudden, the, the leads aren't being generated quite as well. So, uh, you know, lead generation, sales, follow-up, accounting, tax stuff. <laughs> and then meanwhile, for me anyway, and it, it, every person's going to be different in their business. Like the part I enjoy is actually the selling. So I'm still selling 25 houses a year. I'm, so I'm working, I'm doing more work than I used to do alone, plus all the other work. You know, and then you got an office to pay for, an office to furnish. You know,
0: (laughs) I know. I feel like sometimes I get the comment of like, oh, you own your own business. It must be really nice. Like you can just take off whenever you want to take off. And I'm like, well, yeah, but also like when the toilet doesn't work or, you know, like there's a leak in the ceiling and all those other things that you, you know, you don't have to worry about. So I feel like I definitely think owning your own business, if you can do it and it's what you want is a great, a great career path. But there's definitely a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't see. And it's, at least for, for me, it's not, it's actually harder to take off <laughs> than it ever was. Yeah.
2: I get that same comment all the time. Like, oh, your life seems so great and you have so much flexibility. It doesn't feel like that on the inside so much. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. That, you know,
2: I do take a, a couple of trips here and there and I uh, traditionally try to take one or two long trips a year and that that's kind of like my time to decompress. Mm -hmm. Um, COVID is not allowing that to happen this year. So trying to figure out a way to do some, some smaller trips, but yeah, when you own your own business and you're, and you're wearing all those hats your life is pretty busy. And again, it all depends on your personality. Like I'm pretty hard on myself. So when things aren't going that perfectly, I take all the responsibility for that and kind of beat myself up a little bit over it. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. I actually think about it so often. I'm like, well, without that kind of drive and accountability, and I don't know what to call it exactly, it, it pushes you to get to where you're at. But then you, at the same time, you also have a lot of damage that you do to yourself by being so hard on yourself. So like, there's certainly folks that are like, Well don't you just take it easy, man? You don't have to be so stressed out all the time. And it's like, well, the stressed outness is, Part of how I got to where I am.
0: yeah that's exactly right. that's the reason it's been working but yeah it, it's a benefit and, and also a little bit of a curse.
2: It definitely is and but as far as you know when I'm on when I'm on track and doing things the best way and this is again a lot of stuff from coaching and mentoring but having a having a schedule sticking to the schedule, having it all in your phone. It actually takes a lot of stress off of me. I I didn't think that would happen. They told me, oh, everything goes in your phone, on your calendar, everything, everything, everything. And I thought, like, I'm not putting everything in there. That's a waste of my time. You know, like, I'll I'll just remember everything. Trying to remember everything is quite stressful. Um, When you put everything just into your phone and your calendar and just follow the calendar, it actually takes a lot of stress off. I think 2018 was our biggest year for sales so far. Um, and that year, like, I didn't think in 2018, I never, th- I didn't think about anything. I just looked at my phone and did what my phone told me to do. And <laughs> that actually went really well, but it doesn't feel natural to me or it didn't. And sometimes it still doesn't, but it does work. So uh, I encourage all the folks on our team to do that as well. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's one thing when you're running your own show is, is time management. Your, your time will be short. Um, but if you're able to be efficient and keep track of your calendar, get everything on there, um, you will be crossing things off your to do list, which will feel good. And you will be getting the things done that are most important that are on your calendar. And hopefully you can schedule a little time for yourself to, yeah. to go somewhere. I- do something. I
0: would agree. Yeah. Cause I think time management is the key. Cause as we said, you're wearing, owning a small business and being an entrepreneur, you're wearing multiple, multiple hats, which means your day could get derailed pretty quickly and you might not get anything done. And since you're responsible for, as you said, leads and marketing and doing your own sales, like if your day gets derailed and you never get to your own sales, well then that's detrimental. Another question I have for you, because we, I definitely advise people on the podcast when they're starting a business to plan for it to take longer and cost more. Did yeah. you find that was the case for you starting up as well?
2: On the costs, I, I, I had a long history as like being a ski bum before I was, <laughs> uh, you know, selling real estate full time. And, and, you know, in my mind, I'm still kind of a, a ski bum and I, I, this, is, this is what I do for a living and it is a big piece of who I am now. But because of all those years of being thrifty, I was uh, really careful on, on costs and during startup phase. You know, like I said, I worked from home for years and didn't see a need to have an office or be in the office. Once we started having more people on the team and trying to have our weekly meetings, doing that at coffee shops with the latte machine making all the noise, it just eventually just wasn't working. So, um, getting an office was a big step. One of my agents pushed me to that st- uh, step, and uh, you know, long long term now, looking at it, it's been three and a half years that we've had the office. I I'm glad we've done it. I think every business is different in in what the capital startups are going to, costs are going to look like. In real estate, you've got your costs of getting licensed and everything. But then if you're going to go work at a brokerage, other than your licensing costs and your monthly MLS dues, you don't really have any costs besides your cell phone and your gas. So that's nice. I think in any, in any startup though, uh, you know, from my experience, what I would say is. Stay lean, watch your dollars and cents big time, you know, squeeze every penny at the beginning, you know, once you're up and running and you're you're profitable, you'll know if you have money that you can be a little more, I don't want to say wasteful with, you know, or take some shots. I've certainly taken some shots on different marketing methods that were somewhat costly, tried a few different signature, uh, you know, electronic signature platforms that are somewhat costly. So, but I do still try to keep things pretty lean overall. I don't I don't know what it's like to have other people's money. So uh, I've started this all from my own bank accounts. Everything came from me. I have not borrowed a penny from anybody else to get this business up and running. Um, so if you're in a spot where you're potentially gonna raise some equity, to do a startup, like that sounds awesome. I would love to be spending other people's money. That sounds good. <laughs> Yeah. When you're spending your own money, I think it becomes pretty easy to, like, for me anyway, for most people, I think it's pretty easy to be cost sensitive when you're bootstrapping it and doing it on your own. But, uh, like Barbara said, plan on it taking longer. Like, you know, it's going to take probably longer than you thought. Um, in real estate, if you're a new salesperson, it's certainly going to take longer. I tell all my people, plan on not making any money at all for six months, like $0. Because then if you end up making money in month three or four, you're going to be Yeah, (laughs) way ahead of time. So definitely build up your war chest a bit. I mean, again, every business is different. Sometimes if you're going into more of a tech startup and you think you can actually raise some funds, maybe you can go into it with like none of your own money and just go for it. If you're maybe doing some kind of product-based business where you're going to try to import, you know, design something, build it, import it, sell it. That's great, too. you're gonna to need to save up. You know you you need to have a lot of savings for that one. So I would definitely say a war chest is important for any entrepreneur. You gotta have some money in the bank. and I think the main reason for this and and it's what I tell my people when they're starting, but it applies to other businesses is when you if you don't have money in the bank to live on for six months or a year or two years, when you get six months in and you haven't made any money and you're not seeing any progress and you're broke and you've been broke, you're going to quit and you're going to go back to whatever job you had before, or you're going to go jump into some new job. And when you quit, that's the end, you know, then the business, it won't grow. There's always a turning point where things that go from not working to working. and, And it's pretty dramatic when that change happens, Yes. but you have to be there when you can't quit early or you won't ever get there. So you got it. Basically that war chest just buys you the time.
0: Um, It gives you the runway to be able to wait it out because yeah, I think a lot of it is, I forget there. I forget what book it's in, but they were like two feet from gold when they gave up.
2: Oh, oh,
0: brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I was back in the gold rush and they just you know, gave up a little too early. But as you said, if you're broke and you can't pay your bills and you're frustrated, it's easier to give up than if you planned for it to be tough and hard and not make any money. And you know, and
2: you can do everything right. And there's still going to just be an amount of time that it takes for things to start clicking. Uh, something my dad always said was uh, you can't push the river. Like the river of time, the river of life is flowing the way it's flowing. And you can't make it flow faster. So. I try to remember that you can't push the river and you can do a lot of great things to set yourself up for success down the road and to, you know, be smart about your business and, and and try to do the best marketing. Oh, I got the greatest Facebook ads and uh, I've got this great distribution system. You can have everything set up, but time you still, it's going to take some time for things to, to fall into place. You know, unless you have crazy amounts of money, that you're able to spend to promote things. And then maybe you can push the river a little bit.
0: Yeah. But I think, I think, you know, I I agree. I think that it takes time and a lot of what we have people on the podcast, when they're doing a side hustle, I always say like, I would try and get your side hustle up where it's making money before you quit your day job, just because it makes everything easier, you know, and it it gives it more time to kind of take, as you said. Right.
2: Yeah, Yeah. And I mean, even for me, when I first started in the business, I was fairly serious about it right from the beginning. And I still worked part-time jobs for, uh, man, probably the first almost two years. I mean, I was still out working, like, manual labor, construction. Oh, Uh, wow. Yeah. I was pouring beers on the weekends at, like, festivals and concerts as, like, a bartender guy. And then two, three days a week, I was still building decks, hanging Christmas lights. Um, (laughs) This was for two years. And, you know, nobody, nobody knows that. Or, I mean, not too many people know that. if you, people close to me know it because I talk about it now and then. But yeah, like people say, "Oh, you got your real estate license, and poof, you were making money." It's like no, like, no. <laughs> I got my real estate <laughs> license, and and I worked a bunch of other jobs to pay my bills, and then
0: yeah, well, started I started to work. People later. that uh, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be willing to work a few years harder, you know, and more than most people would ever be willing to work yeah. you have to put that time and sacrifice in, and then then it absolutely can pay off down the road. But as you said, you need time and you need to be willing to. Yeah.
2: And I I love to throw this out to to anybody too. If you feel like you have the energy to do exactly what Barbara just said, work harder than pretty much anybody else is willing to. um, If you have that in you, then it's, you got to go for it while you have that because uh, just for myself, I had like kind of unlimited energy for my life, for my whole life, kind of. But I'm starting to feel like I don't have as much energy now. I just turned 40, so maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, I feel like I don't have
2: as much. I mean, I I literally felt like I had unlimited energy. Like, I could work 18 hours straight every day, no problem.
0: Um, That's so funny that you say that, because obviously I give a lot of advice about starting a business. You just have to really be willing. Like, I definitely, I remember I brought my mom to the office with me at one point, because they felt my parents felt a little bad that I was working so late. My mom, I had her in the office doing some like stuffing of new forms that everybody had to sign. And we I had set up folding tables with all the different forms. And and you just lose track of time because you're just, you know, you have to get through thousands and thousands of these. And so she my mom looked up at one point and was like, oh, that's so strange. The restaurant across the street is like closed. And I was like, well, it's it's like 2 a.m. <laughs> Mom. Oh wow, you're awesome. like, yeah. working. 2 A.M. and I'm like, yes, we've been doing this since like I guess she probably met me after dinner or something. And I think about it today and like I'm 36, but like I just don't know if I have it in me right now. Like if I I mean if I had to, I would do it if it was you know, no choice. And at the time I also had no choice, you know, you want it to I didn't want to fail. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you really need energy because yeah, I was working real late. And then on weekends going in and putting in same amount of time I did during the week. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of effort. And now people look at it and they're like, oh, wow, you like, you live the dream life. And I'm like, but I also work like crazy, crazy, crazy hours.
2: Yeah. I guess it it is that when you have it, you've got to do it because you, you probably won't have it forever. Maybe some people will, and maybe I will again, but I was just thinking about it when I was walking into the office this morning. I was like, here I am walking to the office. It's like, 11 you know and i'm <laughs> just getting here and i had some other things going on this morning but i was like wow you know a couple of years ago i was in the office at like seven every morning for like a year <laughs> like every day 7 a.m you know i'd be in the office from seven to four and then i'd be out showing houses and i'd be writing contracts and i'd be negotiating and like a typical day for you know 2016 17 18 like a typical day was started at seven and went till 10 or 11 at night. And I was like six or seven days a week. Right. Like for two years, except for when I blew yeah. out and went on a trip for like, i and I would, I'd go on a trip for like a month. I, eventually I just, you know, have a, get close to having a you know, breakdown and being like, <laughs> oh, I'm taking a trip. And I kind of learned, you know, if you read like four hour work week along, I read it yeah. a long time ago and I don't even remember half of what's in there, but I do remember that when Tim Ferriss said he went away to Europe, at one point and left his business alone for a month or two. And then he realized it like ran maybe better without him being mm-hmm. around. So I kind of tested that in a similar way. I went to Europe for like a month and wow, everything went fine when I was gone. So then I realized maybe I'm pressured putting too much pressure on myself. And, and so I, I definitely backed off a bit. And w- you know, when you back off, when you take your foot off the gas a little, you probably will see maybe a little bit of a decline in sales. Um, mm-hmm. You're the driver behind the sales, but maybe that's okay. You know, maybe, maybe four people selling a hundred houses a year is like, there aren't a lot of small teams like that, that are doing that much business, like in the whole country, you know, and we did and we did great and I'm proud of it, but also like ground myself down pretty bad. And well, my agents were newer then, and they had a lot more energy too. So they handled it. But I think I didn't want to grind them down to to dust either. You know, I want to. I want people to have a, a good life, but maybe I don't know. I'm just competitive. Like, let's do it. We're going to work hundred hours a week, every week until we, you know, we're going to be the best. And that's, and that's what it takes to break through. And saying,
0: you need to get going.
2: You need it at the beginning, I think. And then it's up to you how long you keep going that way. And then, you know, again, this comes from mentors and coaches. I, I didn't believe it at first. I always thought, no, I can do everything myself, but getting some help, you know, having an assistant or hiring more people you know I certainly should have hired a marketing person by now I haven't because I don't know where to find them and I don't know how to train them <laughs> but <laughs> I probably could have got that advice from the coaching I, that I'm I'm not in the coaching right now so it's funny this is almost like I'm I'm like on a shrink's couch right now just talking about the mistakes I've made but we've done we've you know we've really done well overall and I think the hustle hustle is one of our core values and you know, we talk about it all the time um and I think hustle is super important for any business. Um, I would guess if your listeners you know, are uh, side hustlers, they may listen to some Gary V stuff. Barbara, do you, do you know Gary Vee? Do you like him?
0: Yes, I do like Gary Vee.
2: So he's always talking about hustle, hustle. That's like his thing. Um, he's actually the keynote speaker at this video conference that I'm checking out later today. I'm sure he's going to talk about hustle. And Gary Vee had me hustling big time. I loved it. And then I kind of burn out on it a little bit. so you you're going to have ebbs and flows. Yep. Uh, you don't but you don't want to ever give up. You know you want to build a system that where you can take some time for yourself and the and the organization can still run. So I think absolutely. hiring a little help, although it's a daunting task, it it really pays off. It
0: really, really yeah. really does absolutely. But yeah, I think I think um it sounds like I feel like when you talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, the story is usually fairly similar different industries, but like in the beginning, it takes a lot of work and effort to to break through and get it up and running and you you need a lot of energy to do that. It takes a little longer than you think. But then once you get there, you can build a nice life for yourself and from a financial standpoint, it usually is allows you um to take advantage of some more tax breaks and loopholes and, and so forth from a financial standpoint, which I always like being on the finance side.
2: Yeah, that is a nice thing. I mean, definitely uh, get your get your corporation set up properly. You know, we're an LLC that files taxes as an S-corp and there, there are some advantages to doing things that way. And there are a lot of things that I'm able to write off that are related to our business that help keep taxes more manageable um, you know, get a good accountant, of course.
0: I know I just did another podcast today and I'm always like getting a CPA is always a good investment in my opinion.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, the, the cost of, of hiring the CPA, they're going to save you that several times over on the first good piece of advice you get from them. And you're going to get many good pieces of advice. Yeah. A hundred percent on that. Um, and, you know, I tell all my people this too, like set this stuff up from the beginning because I didn't really, I did, but not really. I didn't have it all set up properly. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first year that you make good money, you're going to get murdered on taxes. <laughs> Absolutely. I did. I got murdered. Um, yeah, I- and then, and then you have it set up more correctly in the future and you can you know, manage things a little better, you know, depending, you know, depending on how you feel about taxes. I don't Everybody has their opinions on taxes and who should get taxed more and who should get taxed less and blah, 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 Um, I can let you know that I came from being really broke um, to then making a bit of money. And my opinions on taxes changed a lot when all of a sudden I was going <laughs> stroking. You know, everyone can talk about like tax the people that make money until you make a little money and you put, thousands of hours of your life into making that money. And then the government takes 40 something percent of it. You'll, (laughs) you'll change your opinion real, real fast. Um, It's so
0: funny. I was just talking to a person who's in sales first, you know, worked his way up, finally has a job where he's going to get commission, you know, really, really put a lot of hours in for it. And he got his first big commission check. He's like, I'm missing half of it. I'm like, no, you're not. The IRS took the other portion.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So you got (laughs) to make that plan ahead of time. Plan for success. I just kind of was going along. Plan for success and be ready for the ramifications of success. I don't know if you talk to so many entrepreneurs that you're hearing a lot of the same stuff from me that you're hearing from other people. Uh, Hopefully, I'm not like a broken record. But, uh, you know, these are the things that I learned certainly on the way in.
0: Yeah, no, I think this is super helpful. I think that most people, I I mean, I think there's even a study that majority of Americans don't like their day job, that people are always looking to do something different or switch careers or looking to start their own business. And I think that it's the American dream, right. Um, Mm -hmm. to be able to own your own business. But I think the reality of starting it, it can be very daunting. And as we talked about, it takes more time and you need to be prepared to be broke and make sacrifices for it, but then the payoff is totally worth it.
2: Yeah. Uh, And, and I, I hats off to people that pull it off. Um, I uh, I don't have kids, so I'm a kind of single guy. I have a great girlfriend, and she's been super supportive. We've been together forever, and I don't know how someone could pull off like I there's no way I could have done what I did if I had two or three kids. So super hats off to the family folks that that make it happen too. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would have been the worst husband father ever working that much. You know, like I was I was working so much. So I don't know how i can't give that advice someone else is going to have to give that advice because if you have a family i think doing this to me seems so much harder however you might be more motivated and more focused i maybe i put in a lot of hours and maybe they weren't all in the right direction maybe if i had a family at home waiting for me i would have been even more efficient more motivated and i maybe would have got things done a little more quickly you know that's the drive if that's your why if that's what pushes you to succeed, then it, it's probably the greatest rocket fuel to get you there. I just can't imagine the time.
0: Having to have something else to pay time to.
2: Yeah. yeah. Just, I just I don't know I, how people do it. So yeah, interview someone else about that one for okay. sure. Great well, balance.
0: Well, this is um, very helpful. So I want to kind of switch topics, if you will, because we, as we talked about, like, it's really interesting about taking, you know, starting a business and how you're able to do that. But you also have a lot of expertise with buying a home, which we talk about all the time. I always think it's a great investment, whether it's primary residence or if you're starting with a second home first, but we haven't really talked a lot on the podcast about the nitty gritty of home buying. So I was hoping you could kind of walk us through some of the things to, you know, any t- uh, tips or tricks, like uh, what are points, maybe reducing origination fees or underwriting fees or anything like that because we do have a lot of people that are looking to buy houses especially now with interest rates being so low
2: yeah well we yeah let's certainly talk about the financing side a little bit i am not a mortgage broker i do not handle loans directly but we work with a lot of great mortgage lenders and i do know a decent amount about that side of the business i also worked in finance for a while uh as a I was a credit analyst for GMAC doing auto loans back in the day when I first got out of grad school. So I definitely speak the language a bit of those folks. So rates are crazy low now. Historically low is not even the right word because they've been historically low for the last seven years, eight years. Now we're looking at numbers that I really never thought we'd see. Um, I have heard of folks on a purchase loan recently with 30 year fixed rates as low as two and a half percent.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: Wow. Yeah. When it hit four, I thought like, wow, that can't go much lower than that. Um, <laughs> I just refied my personal uh, residence to a rate a little under three. I didn't get as low as some of these folks are getting. Cause I was just a little too early to the party, but getting your ducks in a row financing wise is certainly the first step. And well, we always joke around step one of buying a house is finding a great agent. Like, Uh, Myself or anyone on my team, but also step one is making sure you have your financial ducks in a row. Um, And we help our people do that by trying to connect them with one of the local lenders that we work with um, that we trust. Um, There's a lot of folks in the lending game and a lot of lenders will say all kinds of things to get your business. We really educate our folks to like, Hey, why don't you work with somebody that we trust? We've done a ton of deals with them. They'll get done what they say they're going to get done. So number one, don't just jump on. I highly don't recommend using like internetbank.com for your home loan. Um, (laughs) You know, any internetbank.com, you're not going to get good service. You're not going to get your questions answered quickly. If your agent needs to touch base with your loan officer, which can become very important at certain points in the process, they're probably not going to have somebody that's going to answer the phone. And if you're going to save $100, but potentially risk your whole transaction, I think that's a poor no. decision. So yeah, no. so picking someone that you can trust or that your agent trusts or that your family members have already used, that that to me is is key because everyone's based on where your credit is, where your debt to income is, things like that. Mm-hmm. all the lenders are going to get you right around the same rate. That's that's the honest truth. They're all reselling into the same secondary market. So, you're going to be around the same on rate. So, really the main things that only change are the fees they charge. And lenders are they charge different fees. They call them all kinds of different things. You just I yeah. bottom line fees add them all together. I don't care what they're called. Um <laughs> you're not going to vary. they can vary.
0: And I think that's great advice. Just pick somebody that you trust because when you're working with any professional, I think that's important, whether it's a lawyer, a CPA, a financial advisor, a real estate agent, getting referrals and doing your due diligence and making sure, you know, asking, you know, your parents, or your grandparents or friends and family and working with somebody that they trust and you trust is super important, no matter what professional you're choosing.
2: Yes, and this, this is a person you're going to work closely with over the course of a month or two. And then you probably won't talk to him again for quite a while. But during that month or two, they're really important to you. And you want to be with somebody you can trust. So um, generally, they're going to want to see that you've been on the job or a related job without any big holes in your employment for the last two years. They're going to want to get your credit score checked. So you are going to have to let a lender run your credit. Um, you are going to need to submit your recent pay stubs, they're going to want to see your income, they're going to want to verify your employment. So these are the basic paperwork can kind of get going to get a pre-approval. So you want to get a pre-approval before you're out looking at homes. Everybody's excited, they want to go look at homes. We always have to tap the brakes with our clients a little and go like, hey, we got it It really makes sense to get the pre-approval first. Um, Because if you're
0: behind behind the eight ball, you see a house you like and you don't have a pre-approval, right? Yeah. And in
2: the current market here in Utah, the the great houses, the best houses in the best neighborhoods that are priced fairly are selling in a day or two generally or three or four, but not more than that. If it's properly priced in the right neighborhood, it's selling really quickly. So I always say, we're going out big game hunting. We're going hunting for a house that's bigger than an elephant. So (laughs) we need all the bullets in the gun before we go you can't be looking for your bullets when the house that you want is right in front of you because you're too late and you're going to lose every single time and that's a giant heartbreak for you and it's a giant waste of your time and to be completely honest it's a giant waste of your real estate agent's time too to be out looking at homes if you're not ready to pull the trigger on one you don't not saying you have to pull a trigger today it's just if we find the perfect house for you, are you ready to pull the trigger? And if your answer is no, it's like, well, then now's not the time for us to be out looking at homes. You know, you can look at homes on the internet. And then when you're ready, then we should be out looking actively. That's my personal opinion. Because especially during the COVID uh, epidemic right now, we don't need to be inside people's houses touching things, exposing ourselves to them, exposing them to us if you're not even really ready to make a move. Um, and I think it's kind of reckless. And uh, a little bit irresponsible to be out in people's homes if you're not a real buyer.
0: No, I, I totally agree. Okay, so definitely want to have your pre-approval. You want to have all your financial paperwork in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's a good way to put it because I do think that sometimes people think you could get you know better deals. Um, so that's interesting to hear that the financing aspect of it, the fees are all pretty similar.
2: Well, I guess I didn't quite finish that. I think the rates are all going to be pretty similar Okay. um, because you're going to fit into a bucket based on your credit score, your debt to income, your down payment, and that bucket is going to have an interest rate that might vary an eighth or a quarter of a point one way or another, but probably not a lot of variability in the rate because that's all dependent on your bucket. The fees can vary from one lender to another pretty significantly, like some Some internetbank.com might be like $500 flat closing fee, whereas a local lender, maybe they're $1,500. So it is $1,000 more, which is significant. But if you're purchasing a home, that you're going to live in for seven to 30 years. That $1,000, in my mind, is $1,000 well spent to make sure that you get the home you want and that somebody... That doesn't know your name or face.
0: Doesn't drop the ball. On doesn't the drop
2: the ball, and you lose the house that you really wanted. Because I've seen it happen, and I think lending's probably going to tighten up again coming into next year. So getting a loan is going to be a little difficult.
0: It has been pretty lenient, right, with the lending.
2: Yeah, I mean, two thousand seven and you know eight before the crash, things were you know if you could breathe, you could get a loan. You you could just lie about everything and get a loan. That changed dramatically after the financial crisis and. 10, 11, 12 mortgages were qu- quite difficult to get. You know, you had to fit into all the little boxes just right to get a hold of one. Then things have slowly loosened since probably about 2013 or 14 all the way up till now. And now I know that uh, a number of the big lenders are avoiding. They don't. <laughs> this is not good for the entrepreneurs out there. If you just did a, if you're doing a startup, it's going to be very difficult to get a, a loan if you don't still have your other day job. Bringing it in, bringing in steady income. Being commission based right now, they're uh, definitely scrutinizing things more. As a business owner, when I did my refi, I had to give my past two years' tax return, which is normal, but also had to give uh, the first six months of this year, where our profit and loss was for this year. They want to see, like, are you still making money? So I think we're going to see a little more tightening with that if uh, if unemployment continues to be a problem. So. You know, keep your keep your ears open. Talk to you know, and having a local lender, you can talk to somebody that's on your side. Remember, the loan officer's on your side. They only get paid if you get your loan. You know, they don't get paid anything if you don't get your loan. So they want you to get the loan, just like real estate agent wants you to 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 find the house that you love. So they're on your side. So you could call them ahead, get your ducks in a row ahead. They might tell you, "Well, your credit could use some work. Why don't you do these five things and call me back in two months?" You know we have people do that all the time. So that's great. Um If you want to get more into the nitty gritty of, of the house buying process, we could do that as well and, and jump past the financing arm. But the financing piece is very important.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense. You, I mean, debt to equity um, or debt to income ratio, right? So student loans have a, a factor on it. Um mm-hmm. Checking out the rates and rates are specific to area too, right? So Utah is going to be different than New York. New York will be different than California a little bit.
2: Yeah, there probably will be some variability there. Um, yeah. Overall, it comes down from you know the secondary market where mortgages are traded, and kind okay. that will determine rates. They won't be dramatically different between Utah and California. They, there probably will be some slight variations, but once you have everything, in the, let's just assume that you're looking to buy a house and you've got everything lined up on your loan. You've been doing some searching around on, on the on the old internet, uh, your, your agent hopefully is sending you some listings to you get out and you see a home that you love. Now, again, every market's going to be different. So you should always get a great agent that knows your area, but um, in Utah, we'll just say, and say it is in Cottonwood Heights, which is the neighborhood I live in. It's the neighborhood our office is in. It's, a great neighborhood right near the mountains uh, move to Utah it's wonderful there's a plug right there give me a call I'll help you out um, but say we're out looking at a home and you and we go and see it we're gonna see one today day one you see the home you love the home and you tell your agent like I want to think about it for a day or two and if I'm your agent I go you can think about it as long as you want but this house will be gone tomorrow um, I yeah. know this neighborhood I know that this home is priced fairly and I know that there will be other folks here today. A recent listing of mine, we had 38 showings in 36 hours.
0: Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And
2: that was one of my listings. Um, Yeah, it's depending on the area, depending on the price, of course. Higher price tends to take a little longer to sell, but right now in Utah, anything under about 700,000 is still selling really quickly. It used to be the number was kind of like 400,000, below 400,000 sold really fast, Above four hundred thousand took a bit more time. Now it's like seven hundred thousand, which is wild. So being ready to make a decision fairly quickly is going to be important. And I know most people don't like to be rushed. And as the agent, I'm not. I'm not rushing you. The market is rushing you. Um, It's just up to you. You know whether you want to rush and have a chance or take your time and not have a chance. Like that's. That's not sales talk in this situation. That's just reality. So you have to be prepared. That's why we want to have that pre-approval. I think it's important to be honest with your agent and communicate a lot. Tell them what's important to you, what's not. They'll try to help remind you later when you get stars in your eyes because you love this kitchen so much. They'll maybe remind you that, yeah, but you said I needed to have three bathrooms. This only has one. You said that you didn't want to be on a busy street. This one's across the street from the freeway. So there's definitely times where an agent, I think, can can help talk their client out of making a mistake and there's certain times when a house just is just really really special where i think an agent will jump in and go look it's always your call but this is a great house i really think you should consider this one um i see thousand houses a year and this is you know one of the best so so definitely listen to that advice, but you don't don't necessarily jump on it. If you're not feeling it, no problem, but your agent's you know on your side. So then when it's time to actually make the offer, and this is why having a great agent matters more now than probably ever, that home's probably gonna get four or five or 10 offers in the first few days.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the advice your agent can give you on where to offer on price is gonna be really important. Also, if your agent does what we do, they're gonna be calling the other agent We call it the bro down. You're going to bro down as much as you can with the other agent, try to get a good relationship going so that that agent maybe will give little tidbits of info that not everybody else is getting. And maybe that'll help us, or maybe they'll just like your agent. They'll like me and they'll say, you know, that guy's going to be easy to work with. And they'll guide their client to say, look, we got five offers. Two of the two best ones are basically the same. Um, But one of them comes with this guy, Darren attached to it. And he's a broker sells a hundred houses a year. It's got 400 five-star reviews online. Um, I've worked with him. It's even better when somebody worked. I've worked with him twice before. If we work with this guy, he's going to be honest and easy to work with. And if you work with this other person, I looked them up. They don't, they haven't been in the business that long. I don't know. They don't answer their phone. They didn't text me. They didn't call me. They just sent their offer over kind of in an email with no information at all. So, there's all these extra little things your agent can do. And these are things really that that the buyer themselves can't do. It's where the agent shines. This is where we earn our money. And that's trying to get the seller to pick your offer (laughs) and not someone else's offer. And right now there are, well, we'll just say again, every state's different. The purchase contract here in Utah is quite buyer friendly. There's a lot of terms in there that really help the buyer, but this year, especially, we've had to start giving up some of our rights in the contract to look stronger, be stronger than other offers. And so, yeah, you 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 have the the right to cancel during your due diligence period. And we should if there's major problems during the inspection. And we used to get about two weeks to do our inspections. Now that's shorter. Now we're only getting 10 days Oh wow. Or, or a week sometimes. You know, you can ask for two weeks, but that weakens your offer. So we're going to have to give up some of your uh, strength in the contract to have them pick our offer. You know, earnest money uh, is a down payment a deposit saying basically, if you pick our offer, we are going to put this money on deposit. And during the contract period, if we break the rules of the contract, you know, we'll lose this money to you for wasting your time. It used to be oh you could just throw a thousand two thousand dollars there now it's it's got to be one percent or two percent we're looking at five thousand ten thousand dollar earnest money amounts all the time now and there's a new section in our contract where you can indicate some of that money becomes non-refundable uh, earlier in the contract and when that when that uh, was first added to the contract nobody was using that clause you know everybody was like no, zero dollars is going non-refundable like that's no and now people are doing half non-refundable one weekend i've heard of offers that are being made these days with no appraisal contingency no uh inspection contingency
0: because no inspection crazy
2: and that's where it's that's where it's gone i know it has happened that way denver was that way for years seattle was that way i may still be that way sections of california have been that way for years where it's like oh you looked at the house that was your inspection oh you my God. and if you don't like it that's fine there's 20 other people that want to yeah, other. yeah so i think wow. that's an important thing and it's a hard thing because everybody watches hgtv and thinks it takes a half an hour to buy a house and you just make a verbal offer and then you get the house and no there's some paperwork involved there's some negotiating involved and you really need to speak with your agent to find out what's the temperature in your current market, who's in charge, the buyers or the sellers and who has more negotiating power because here in Utah right now, the sellers generally are going to have a lot more negotiating power. And if you go into it thinking you're going to boss people around as the buyer in Utah, it's just not going to work. And it's not going to work out for you. You're, you're not going to get a home because there's a lot of other buyers out there that want homes that are not going to try to, Push things. There's when it's possible, I'm going to try to get you every single thing that, you know, under the sun as a buyer. When I'm a buyer's agent, we're going to try to get closing costs. We're going to get them to fix every single thing on the house. We're going to beat that seller up on the price as much as we can. I, I did that in 2009, 10, 11, 12. That's not the case anymore. Now the case is, we just, you want that house? Okay, I'll, I'm going to try to find out how to get it for you. And the terms may not be to your liking, but I'm gonna let you know how to get it and it'll be your decision uh, whether you want to move forward or not. So just knowing where you stand. We always have some buyers that just don't have, they're out of touch with the market and they don't listen
0: to Mm -hmm.
2: us as their agents. It's totally normal. You know, they say, well, my cousin Bob is an agent and he lives in Pittsburgh. And he said, (laughs) I'm like, well, things are a little different in Pittsburgh than they are here right now. So, there's always the advice coming from the family member or the friend in some other state. And I gotta be honest, it's, it's pretty irrelevant. What's going on in other States, especially right now, every market's different. So, you know, definitely, again, I said this a lot, but definitely focus. if you don't trust your agent, then it's not, it's not going to be a good relationship. Like you gotta be with somebody you trust and believe in, and you really should trust them when they tell you that's not going to be enough to win then you should believe them. They're on your side. They want you to get that house. And if you're trying to nickel and dime a seller, uh, it's just, it's not going to work out in in our environment right now based on the, we have a really low supply right now. Like last year was the lowest supply in history. And this year we're at about 40 to 50% less than last year.
0: That's crazy. yeah. So yeah, I really, we never really talked about that so much, but yeah, I guess it's really important to understand the market that you're looking to buy in and what is going on with the dynamics of that specific market.
2: Right. So if, yeah, I, I don't know, but I i don't know why I'm using Pittsburgh as an example, but let's just say Pittsburgh again, if, you know, if unemployment is especially high in Pittsburgh right now, and there are a lot of homes on the market and there are, you know, not a lot of folks looking to buy, it could be a totally different situation than here in Utah, but then you might have... A lot of negotiating power as a buyer, Um, so it's that's the key thing. Play play the cards the way they are in front of you, not the way you want them to be, and know that long term you're buying this house to hold, to have a place to live, to build equity over time. You know, to there are all the benefits you've probably talked about on other shows. And the key thing is you have to get the house. And we've had a couple friends and clients that just. They kept poking around trying to buy a house, but they always wanted a deal, a deal. I want a deal. And I say, if you want a deal, the first thing you're going to need to do is go get a time machine and you're going to have to go back in time about seven years. That was the last time I got a deal on something was probably in 2013, 14, maybe. Um,
0: well, yeah, usually if it's obvious that the market is hot, you've missed the opportunity for a deal. It's very yeah. similar. It's very similar to a stock. Once the stock is on TV, and they're saying this is, you know, it's had a great run, blah, blah, blah. Well, you already, you should have been in it a few years ago.
2: Right. And if you, if there is a, a property that's put on at a good price, a really great price, we're going to see so much action on it. The market's going to drive the price right up. You know, I, I saw a home selling for $40,000, 50000 over their list price earlier this year. and you know, that was partially market frenzy, but it was also partially underpriced asset. Underpriced asset. You know, if you underprice a home in a slow market, you're probably going to leave money on the table. But in the market here right now, by having the price low, you're just going to get a feeding frenzy, and you're still going to get about the right price. There's a, I could do a whole other podcast on pricing strategy stuff, but um, <laughs> yeah, buying buying side uh, buying side. You know, there are a million little tricks your agent can try, and you can try all of them. Like we do. everyone on our team knows all the tricks. We try all of them every time, and we still don't win all the time. You know When you're up against 10 or 12 or 15 other offers, there could always be a, a crazy person who has cash and is like, nope, I'll pay 50 grand over cash. Like you're gonna lose. It's just you can't win all of them. Yeah, it um, takes
0: a lot of luck too, I think.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, luck, luck that you're not up against a crazy person. Yeah. They're not necessarily a crazy person, but a person that's willing to do things that no one else is willing to do. But as far as the offer presentation, because we present our offers in an email, we explain everything, we call, we text, we make sure we get the agent on the phone to let them know we're serious. We're a real agent. We know what we're doing. Our client is serious. They've already lost out on four houses, they don't want to miss out on yours. Let us know what we can do to win. We've tried to make the best offer we can think of. But if we're missing in some way, you know, if you're willing to give us a call, let us know, you know, we really want to win. When you get that phone call versus just the three other people that just email you an offer and don't even text you or don't even call you, there's a connection where that's going to certainly help you as a buyer. To get to get a hold of that house that you want so these are the extra like i said these are the extra things we do and what i've realized is uh on my listings and getting offers more and more agents are doing things the right way i think we're the only ones one of the only ones in town really going the extra mile and doing everything we could think of and now uh, it seems like there are quite a few people in town doing that so that's it's good not good for uh not necessarily good for our buyers, cause now we have other good competition out there. We were able to like outperform all the other agents on service and communication. And now there are a lot of people doing great service and communication. So we're going to have to think of the next cool thing to do to help our clients win. But, you know, just being aggressive right now, like aggression is rewarded. And um, yeah. if you're, if you're looking for a deal, like I, they're, they're out there, they're, you know, they're in places like, I don't know, I am keep saying Pittsburgh Pittsburgh might be doing great I don't know why <laughs> I have a client right now that's moving here from Pittsburgh so that's just in my head might, um, yeah. from there I'm not trying to to dump on your town I'm just saying there are deals in other parts of the country I know there's deals in Detroit right now um, you know but in but a
0: hot spot you know. yeah Well, Darren, this was super helpful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only your story about being an entrepreneur and starting your own business, but also kind of some of the tips and tricks for buying a property because it's a very daunting task. It usually, you know, most people only buy one or two places in their lifetime. So definitely going to be daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, And we will link to your website. Great. um, When we
2: post if anybody's interested in in discussing what's going on in Utah anymore, they can certainly give me a call or an email. Thank you for that, Barbara. And um, great place to invest as well. I own a number of uh, rental properties here, and they've done very well for me. So if anybody's listening and they want to do a little investing in the great state of Utah, I can certainly help you do that.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. So all of our listeners, on the when we put this up, we'll link. Uh, to Darren's business. And then you can follow us on Instagram for our most up-to-date information. And you can check out our online classes that are in partnership with SUNY Ulster at www.planancial.com.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus,